1: Welcome to another episode of Dow of Inbound. This is Ian Garlic, CEO of Authentic Web. And I today have the coolest guest we've had on yet. Um, I've had some amazing guests, very influential guests, whatever you want to call them. And, and no offense to you if you're listening to this. I love you all. But my guest today is the coolest. He's so cool. I'm not even going to intro him anymore because I'm going to have him tell everything that he does. Tal Klein, my good friend. Thanks for being on the show.
0: Thanks, uh, Ian. And I'll, I'll, here's here's what I'll say. The reason Ian uh, introduces me as cool is because I'm literally cool. In fact, I'm I'm cold. I'm, I live in Michigan. Uh, <laughs> and, so, and, and where did you move to Michigan from? <laughs> I I moved to Michigan from uh, California, and and I'm not from Michigan, nor did I go to uh, uh, any of the Michigan universities. So uh, and I think I'm the only person in the world who's ever done that, apparently, according to everybody, both everybody in California and Michigan thinks I'm completely crazy for having done that. But we can dive into that. Uh, You're so far ahead of then. the
1: curve. I You literally just raised Michigan land prices, I think, like two percent. You just raised just by <laughs> by you saying that I'm like towels there. There's people rushing to Michigan right now. They're like, it's time to buy land.
0: Well, hey, by the way. Can I just give a shout-out to Detroit? I mean, Detroit is happening right now. It's, it's it a really, really exciting place. I I didn't believe – you know, I posted one of those things like, hey, I'm moving – actually, I wrote a giant diatribe about why I was leaving California uh, and moving to, to Michigan. Uh, and so – it was kind of funny because first of all, when you post giant diatribes on Facebook, the first thing that you expect is for everybody to ignore it, right? Because you know, I know, you know, it's like <laughs> it's like okay, but it was like one of those things, like you know, where I guess the Facebook algorithm decided that this is like something people might want to engage with. So, so uh, all of a sudden, uh, all of my a lot of friends that I, I went to school with that I hung out with both uh, in New York and then a lot of people that I knew from the, the art the art community in San Francisco were like, hey, I'm I'm in Detroit. You know, and I was yeah. like, "Wow, it's because it's so cheap here." You know, it's 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 amazing. It's it's one of the last kind of big metropolitan uh, areas that uh, you know that really has a sort of a, a soul. And I think that a lot, a lot of the artists, you know, there's there's a great artist community over here. And um, you know, there's other places like that. You see, I mean, you know, I I know a lot of people who are kind of in, in that kind of vibe in cleveland for example oh yeah cleveland um,
1: i'm going to cleveland a couple of weeks i was just on the phone with vinnie fisher who's based there and i'm like and i was telling doug or, you know doug richards he was talking about having a 40th birthday in vegas i'm like i'd rather go to cleveland than
0: vegas oh i'd rather i'd rather go anywhere than vegas it, it's like <laughs> for me vegas is a soul-sucking place it, it's terrible because i want to love vegas so bad when i was young in my 20s you know i I used to really get excited about Vegas. Like, oh, go to Vegas, gonna party, whatever, you know. And you know, it's kind of like an adult Disney World. But uh, having just come back from Disney World with my kids, I can tell you that I I don't want to go to either place anymore. It's <laughs> it's, it's like <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like it's great. The only thing that's that Vegas and Disney are both good for are are your pedometer.
1: Yes. Oh, you know, it's
0: I, like oh, you feel great about yourself. You're like oh yeah, I drank like 17 martinis and. You know, whatever, but yeah, I walk like ten miles. Yeah, so I'm fine.
1: You need seventeen martinis at, at Disney. Yeah. Oh
0: man, well, it's tough to get. You know, so especially well. So Disney World, at least, you could always sort of duck into Epcot. You know, yeah. grab a drink and get back on the uh, uh, the monorail. But in in Disneyland, you know that you got to you got to have an inn. You got to have. Uh, it took me like. I had to, like, when I went to Disneyland, I had to do all this planning to find a friend who had access to Club 33 because that's the only place where you can get a drink. And even there, like, you know, it's, you gotta, you know, what I did was I went to Club 33 and my buddy got me in and I bought um, a drink and secretly I put the drink into a flask. And brought it out and shared it with my
1: friends. (laughs) Oh my gosh! It's like being in high school again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, who does that? Of course, parents want to be wasted in Disneyland or Disney World. I mean, I mean, it's really not. It's you're there for the kids, and the kids are just crazy because you know, for them, it's like it's like you know, religion. You know, you these kids like grow up watching Disney movies and uh, you know, and hearing about these rides, and all of a sudden, you just go somewhere, and it's it's like. You know, it's like going to Europe, except like, you you know, you get to meet the monarchy of every country. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, oh, there's Elsa and Anna and like Belle and whatever. And like all these guys are just in your face, like all of a sudden. And like, as far as these kids were concerned, like this is all stuff that was like, you know, you know, kids have a hard time anyway, separating fact from fiction. Yep. So, so all of a sudden you're there in Disney and, and like my daughter, so uh, we met at least two Elsas and two Cinderella's and watching her struggle with the suspension of disbelief uh, <laughs> was was truly an art. I mean, because because she knew they weren't the same person. I mean, it was totally not the same Cinderella and not the same Elsa. Right. But oh. but just her brain just wants to believe so bad. That, like she's just wrestling with it. She's like she's like, why was why did that Elsa have, you know, darker hair? Than the other Elsa, and then she like starts to like think about. It. She's like, "Well, maybe, maybe she was in the sun, or maybe she drank a lot of milk, or like she just comes up with these arbitrary things that would make her hair lighter because she needs to believe, you know."
1: And well, and and there you get the reason for our political situation.
0: Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, so we're recording this the day after uh, Super Tuesday, and uh, and I have to believe I that you are just as shell shocked as I am. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: it, it's. I have moved past it. I moved past shell shock into. There's so, something wrong in people's hearts right now, and we have to figure out what
0: it is. So you're. I mean, you, you understand marketing inside and out. I mean, I'm a marketing guy too, right? And, mm-hmm. and and usually with marketing, our whole world is about sort of profiling. You know, uh, under putting ourselves in the shoes of of our audience. Yes. Right. Kind of deconstructing them and and all that. And my biggest problem with Trump, and it's not going to be a sort of philosophical or ideological problem, my biggest problem with Trump is I do not know a single person who's voting for Trump. And what I mean by that is that I'm so far removed from the constituency that is that is making these decisions, that is voting for Trump, that I don't understand. I, I, you know, and even I don't believe what I see in the media. I mean, I understand... The media feels a need to to explain the people feel disenfranchised, disenfranchised with uh, politics and whatever, and they need a hero and all that kind of stuff. I just I don't believe the media either, because I don't think they understand the people. I think we've reached a state. I was thinking you know, people keep trying to come up with metaphors for the Trump situation. I think it started with people trying to compare him to, to Hitler and, you know, sort of uh, fascism and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, you know, obviously, that's easily defeatable. I think that the easiest way to think about Trump is if you dial the clock back even a little bit further to the French Revolution, hmm. where sort of, you know, you've got – so you you had the mo- you had the monarchy and sort of, uh, you know, the upper class and all that kind of stuff. And then you had the bourgeoisie, which is like, you know, the middle class. And they just thought everything was fine. You know, they, they had no idea. I mean, I don't know whether we, we live in a bubble cause, or whatever. I, I mean – but they had no idea they thought everything was fine. All of a sudden the Jack Obama show up and like chop everybody's heads off. And they're like, What where the hell did this come from? You know. Yeah. And and that's what I feel like is, is happening with the Trump. Like we have no idea who these people are, what they want, you know. Uh, and so it's very, very tough for anybody in politics uh, to to appeal to them. Like, if you think of like somebody like a Bernie Sanders, so sure, on paper, you know, he's a socialist and um you know, progressive, all that kind of stuff. But surely, to me, on paper, like, a person like that would be very appealing to the sort of person who's voting for Trump, say. What I mean by that is that, you know, on that that person, the person who's voting for Trump, would probably get a lot more out of society with a Bernie Sanders, in a Bernie Sanders kind of world. I don't know that Bernie Sanders would ever get anything accomplished in in government actually, but if you, if you, uh, think about the ideology, that person has a lot more to gain. So why is that person, you know, not, not voting for a Sanders and voting for a Trump. It's, and the, the reason I, I think is because Bernie, I, I think we've di- we've reached, uh, such different levels of vernacular. I think, mm-hmm. I think the lexicons are different. Like I, I think we're not even speaking the same language anymore.
1: I agree. I agree. And And also Bernie's giving them what they need, not what they want.
0: That's fair. That's fair. But, you know, and, and, and I get that. But, you know, I think it's just it's it's very, very strange because you've got hundreds of millions of dollars going both on the Republican and Democratic side. And nobody can figure out how to reverse engineer the Trump voter. Yeah. In fact, in fact, every single dollar I bet that they spend trying to undo Trump to his own constituency makes them probably dig in their heels a little bit more.
1: I agree. I agree. And uh, well, I do know people that people that are listening to this podcast that like trump and
0: uh, you know it, it's
1: uh, i i don't know i I'm i mean i guess trump I, is
0: kind of like the nuclear option and i i get that sort of desire that's a good, to just, that's
1: a good way to put it yeah
0: yeah it's, like trump is like oh my god i'm so i mean to me this is like if i think about if i if i if i do the wrong thing which is kind of put my own personal bias and think about like what's what scenario would lead me to vote for trump um and and I can think of myself in a way of just saying I, I give up like any like I want to do I want to start over and it's too late to change the government. I can't change the Constitution um, the, the thing I can do is throw a grenade at the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean it's like, yeah. it's like ra- rather than sort of organized chaos, I'm just gonna you know electing a Trump is like you know let's just throw a grenade in there. And that, and hopefully, you know, I can rebuild from there. It maybe it destroys everything, but maybe I don't have anything to lose, you know.
1: Well, have you read the Culture Code before? I've not, no. You definitely need to read it. It's the guy I forget his name, and it's a fantastic book. Um, and he just came up with the global code, but he's the guy that developed the, um, helped develop the marketing, but also developed the PT Cruiser, and he's helped massive marketing campaigns. And he basically comes up with a code for each place like um for us nurses the code for nurse is mother while the code for like hospital is prison and um and he does marketing around it and he said american this was written seven years ago eight years ago he said the americans want a low iq entertainer as the president
0: you know, that's like, the that's the the sort of the the Zaphod biebel box yeah Beeblebrox kind of thing right i mean it's a the idea that you you actually just want you want reality TV, you don't want real life.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. They don't want they don't want a pre- president that's smart.
0: They want a president that's an entertainer. By the way, that's exactly how I would describe the PT Cruiser because I remember when it came out. Not 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 to uh, uh, pivot too far, but when PT Cruiser came out, I was really excited about it in principle because you know I was I like the idea of harkening back to the old sort of Jimmy Z style, um, you know cruisers. But I couldn't believe when they put it out and it was like had like this you know would it have like a, the, the smallest engine in the world like was it like even a, a four cylinder engine in that thing you know and you really I mean I would, I'm I was surprised that they didn't throw that like a Hemi in there right mm-hmm. and have like a massive like or at least have an option of like a real cruiser you know like a PT cruiser that you could cruise with not one that makes you look like an old person yeah yeah yep exactly and
1: it, it but it, it played to this code. And It's yeah, amazing that these codes that we play to. Um, so I, I want to. I'm going to bring it back 180, and Sorry. I'm going to talk about you. Okay. Because the reason I think you, you're cool, besides I know you and you're awesome and you're fun and you're hilarious and you're super smart, and uh, is you know, and we have mutual friends, is you have just an amazing background and you do so many cool things. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are now?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think the easiest way to explain that is completely by accident, but you know it's almost like you would say it's like a series of deliberate accidents. Like I think if you fall, you know when you teach, uh, so you, you've got a, a young kid, so you know you kind of the, the biggest art with kids is not teaching them not to fall, but teaching them how to fall.
1: Do mm-hmm.
0: you know what I mean? Yep. It's because you you have to assume that you're going to fall, and so it's kind of like uh, if you embrace the falling. Then uh, it's kind of fun because you can you can fall without getting hurt, right? And so the idea for you know the way I designed the way I started thinking about things is, um, you know, I went to I went to school and I I really very quickly got this you know I, I hated I only did well in classes where I liked the teachers because I have a huge I'm not i am am a I'm a, uh, I'm a hands-on learner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, universities are not really set up for that, especially not the first two years of college. You know, the first two years of college when you're doing your core, uh, core cur- curriculum, it's like you, and especially in the SUNY system, it's like you and like a class of like 5 million people. And, you know, you're lucky if, uh, you know, it's, so like occasionally I would have like a teacher that, So the way, the way I was able to cope with that is I would uh, take advantage of office hours so I, I wouldn't even go to classes 90% of the time unless attendance was actually like one you – know, some professors are, you know, jerks about it and force you to actually show up. But I would just take advantage of office hours, and then uh, you know the teachers that I would connect with, and that's that would be the way I would go to class. Is I, you know I would go to office hours, and that's when I'd actually learn the material because I couldn't learn uh, in a class where where there was just you know uh, a projector and, and some guy speaking at you know, at, you know asynchronously the the crowd. <laughs> um, so uh, what I learned by doing that, and this is what I mean like by, by kind of controlling. So one of those like understanding controlling your fall, understanding that uh, you know it took me in, in high school. I kind of learned I didn't understand why I would do really really well in some classes and, and not do really well in other classes, and it would be really weird because like one year I do awesome at math, and the next year I would be terrible at math, and like one year I do terribly at science, and the next year I do really really well and. Uh, you know, I would do really well in science. Like, there's no reason for me to be exceptionally terrible at earth science, but be really, really good at biology. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, I, I, it didn't make sense to me, so I started to think about like, what what is making me? You know, where where's the advantage here? And I saw that it, w- it was based on my relationship uh, with the teachers. And so I kind of played that played to that in college because I started doing really badly initially. Because, and then I was like, well, I'm just gonna because in high school, I think teachers. Uh, reach out to, first of all, just because of the ratios of the class sizes, you know, the teachers have a much more personal relationship, uh, with, with the, the students. Whereas in college, especially, like I said, in the first couple of years, you're, you're not, you know, at least especially if you go to like a state university, you're not going to have the ratio that you need to, to have personal contact with every one of the one-on-one students that you have. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, I just, I, I learned to go to these, uh, to, uh, to office hours. And what I learned by going to office hours is that I I got to, you know, I no longer was constrained by what time the class was. Because if I wasn't going to class, uh, because, you know, because I was learning, I was still I was still learning, but I was learning my own schedule because I needed to go to office hours. My schedule was a lot more flexible because now I was working my schedule around office hours, not the Monday, you know, whether whether I was taking Monday, Wednesday, Friday or or Thursday, uh, Tuesday, Thursday classes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, that kind of allowed me to pursue DJ because, uh, you know, for, for, if you're going, so I, you know, I, I, had a love of music and, and, um, you know, I got into it through, through college radio and, and I, and, and actually this is another good example of, of, you know, getting into something for the, for kind of the quote unquote wrong reasons, like when I started DJing, it had nothing to do with a sort of appreciation of music. I'd love to say that it was, you know, but but it was because I saw, you know, I hated standing in lines to get into clubs. Um, and I was like, yeah, who's the, who's the guy that never has to stand in line? It's the performer, right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's so cool. I never knew that. I never knew that about you. And that's such a good way to do it. <laughs> I was just friends with the DJ, so I didn't have to stand in line.
0: Well, that's another way to do it, right? That's a, that's a great way to do it, right? I mean, and I was just, well, actually, I think I started, that's how it started, because, you know, just become a DJ. I started by being friends with the DJs, uh, and I was like, wow, those guys get free drinks, and, you know, uh, they get, you know, you also get to play whatever song you want when you want to, you know, when you want to play it. You know, there's, there's a lot of kind of control and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you're right. It started off actually just being friends with the DJ and getting on the guest list and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then it was just about like convenience, you know, like I'm, I'm inherently lazy. Um, and so I just, you know, I I just thought it was really interesting that, uh, uh, you you know, like for them, it was pretty, it was pretty interesting the way it worked out. That's Uh, awesome. So that's how I got into music and then, and then getting from music, uh, into, applied it to school (laughs) and that was kind of, uh, kind of cool because then, you know, I'd be able to be DJing, like you know, whatever, and and you know, play at six in the morning, and then not have to worry about getting to class at nine in the morning. I could just sleep all day because I knew that I'd be able to go to office hours, and and that's where I would learn anyway. So it's yeah. not like I was really missing out on school. Awesome. Um, and, and, then, and then what happened? Oh god, it's, it's it's just a series of laziness. So like, how did I get into? Co- so it's even funnier. How did I get into computers? Well, um. You know, I I got into computers uh, because, you know, because of computer games. Right. And so uh, and I just hated paying for computer games. So, you know, in order to not pay for computer games that, you know, I started learning how to use bulletin board systems. Uh, You know, I became friends with, you know, I became friends with, uh, you know, people who were BBSs. And
1: And for for people that are young and don't know what a
0: bulletin board (laughs) system
1: is, it's the precursor to the Internet. (laughs) <laughs> right,
0: yeah, and that's it's exactly. I got into the internet for because of wares, right? Because I got because of I wanted to get pirated games. Yep. So it's like, uh, you know, it's it's oh, like wares. how do you?
1: I haven't heard that term. In
0: yeah, so exactly. So it's kind of funny. So like you know, I, I, again, not, I wanted to have. I've always wanted to have the narrative of like somebody who's like really earned it, but really it's like I, I'm more of the person who's just driven by laziness. And and so I, like, you know, at some point I think there was a game that it was Police Quest Four. There's a game called police quest 4, oh, god, and,
1: police quest games. Yeah, yeah. This is like nostalgia.
0: So there was a game called <laughs> police quest Four, and I, I didn't want, and for some reason it was like uh, this company that made it with Sierra and they came up with like some new anti cracking technology or whatever. And, uh, and so I just called my buddy who I knew was, he would crack games, which is like re- defeating the copy protection on the games uh, and I was like, look, just teach me how to do this because I don't feel like waiting for somebody else to crack the game. And so he, ta- he taught me how to do it. And-, and that was my first foray into programming. <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like it's never it's never for good reasons. You know, it's, it's just because I'm lazy.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, you weren't looking to change the world or
0: the, no, build was, the code.
1: Yeah. Yeah, You're like, I just want some free police quest.
0: <laughs> yeah. same, the same. It, it's, it's really, really funny. So it, this is this is the story of my entire life. It's like. So uh, let's say I I don't want to take too much. Of that. So like fast forward then beyond university. So I, so records, uh, DJing. So one of the things I got known for as a specific title was kind of like well we me and my friend uh, Dave Marino we would make we would play records and so we we wanted you know everybody was like kind of playing house music and all that kind of stuff. What we were really really into is um, we would play. So back then on hip hop records you would have a B-side, so, which would allow you to sort of extend the mix, So they called it the bonus beats. And, or the, you know, it was basically an extension of the instrumental of, of, of the of the hip-hop track, the, the beats behind the hip-hop song. And um, we just started, we, but people were, it, the problem with doing that is it's very, very mellow, and it's really nice to listen to on headphones, but if you're playing in a club, you're not really going to get people dancing doing that. And so we had, um, you know, I don't know if you ever saw the movie That Thing You Do. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's the I one with was... Tom Hanks, and they have the,
1: the yes.
0: Uh, There's a band called The Wonders, and they have this really slow song, and then the drummer all of a sudden like speeds it up, and everybody starts dancing. Well, that's kind of what we did. We just started playing these these bonus beats records at 45 rpm, which is like double, you know, like for, they normally play at 33, so It's faster, uh, and we, we you know we started playing them, and, and that became like funk beats or funk breaks or something like that. It became like a genre, um, and so we started getting known for that kind of stuff, and so then we started. That's how I started making music. It's not because I, you know, had some desire to to, to uh to be, you know, like the ultimate, you know, uh, electronic music producer or whatever. It was like I wanted to make more, I wanted to make the kind of records that I wanted to play because and nobody else was making them. You know.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's a good reason.
0: Or also because, you know, I guess even 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 more basic cuz now now that my music catalog is a lot wider, People were making it, but I was maybe too lazy to go digging for them. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, so I, I can't, I'm happy to attribute that to laziness as well. So, you know, it's kind of, this is a recurring theme in my life. So I think ultimately, um, you know, that, that's how the DJing thing started. And um, and then concurrently, i just gotten accepted to, so now we're fast forwarding to like, let's say 1990, 1998. And 1998, I just gotten uh, accepted to grad school, and um, yeah, my buddy was was working at the startup, and he's like, uh, you know, would you know, are you, are you, would you rather go spend 80 grand on grad school or make 100 grand this year? And so I called, I called my parents. <laughs> I called my parents, and I was like, you know. And, you know, we're, we're Israeli. So as it is, we're, we're frugal people. Right. So it's like, I basically made my parents a business, a business uh, deal that they couldn't refuse. I was like, look, I'm, I'm going to be off your, you know, I'm officially unweaning myself.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so I was like, is it cool? But you know, obviously I had to get their, their permission and they were, I mean, they were cool with it. And they're like, well, as long as you go back to school at some point later in life. And I was like, okay, sure. I can make that promise. Right. You know, I'm yeah. young. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, so it was great. So we started – and that was like the first uh, – uh, that was the, the first dot-com boom. You know, 90, 1998 was kind of when that was going on. And what company and, was that? Uh, that was a, co- a company called Box Hill. They since got acquired by uh, a company called they, – they got bought by somebody. They, I think they're still around actually. I think they're still called Box Hill. Or – no, now they're called Dot Hill. Gotcha. But they, they're a totally different company. They got bought They got bought by a company out of – this was in New York and they got bought by a company – uh, out of somewhere in California called Articon, and together they became Dot Hill. I don't know. I left after that, but a couple of my buddies from the BBS scene uh, were actually like from from this uh, uh, thing on. Uh, at the time, was there's, there were these kind of uh, before chat boards and stuff like that. There was these things called called muds, and. Um, a lot of you, some of your listeners will know this and they'll geek out and they'll, excited, they'll get really excited that he said mud on the, you know, on the podcast. <laughs> these things called uh, muds are just basically like, I, I never really did. It's it's supposed to be like a role-playing adventure, like multi, mass, it's the first iteration of a massively multiplayer uh, role-playing adventure, but I never really cared about the, the the playing part. I would just go there to chat with people. <laughs> <laughs> like people would run around with like all these swords and blah, blah, like, but, you know, I was like, I don't care. I just want to hang out and chat. So, um, <laughs> Uh, and so these guys, I found out that they they were working for this company called, uh, you know, I think it was called ISI or Global Center, and, and they were, I think this company had gone through like nine acquisitions, so I don't remember exactly what it was called when I when I, <laughs> when I joined them. Uh, and they're like, uh, yeah, just come over, and I was like, and I was like, what do what you guys do? And they're like, well, we do system administration for Unix. And I was like, I, I don't know anything about that. I don't know the first thing about, I'm a Windows, like, I don't know Windows, guy. I was like a DOS guy and whatever. Um, I knew some, some Linux stuff from my previous job, but um, no, they're like, uh, no, you should totally, uh, and I was like, so they're like, no, just show up and, uh, you know, do it and, and come talk to us. And so I did, and I was like, what should I wear? And they're like, we don't care. We like, don't care. <laughs> Because this is like back in the day, like in New York, like yeah, I had to like wear, you know, basically wear a suit to work every day. Yeah, you know, like we don't care what you wear. I was like, what do you mean you don't care what I wear? I can just come <laughs> to shirt and to work in a t-shirt and stuff like that. So that was, uh, um, so, so that's how I, st- I, I got into like the hosting world, and and you know, their claim to fame was actually that they had like, uh, you know, they had uh, Yahoo was being hosted by them, and and they had uh, you know like at the time Playboy and like a whole bunch of like kind of big big dot com names wow. like mp3.com and all that kind of stuff wow yeah. um that's a big and hosting. it's hosting but actually that's how i kind of learned about mp3.com which is kind of funny so so then mp3.com which i don't know those of you that use uh, soundcloud like mp3.com was kind of the original soundcloud and it was a new platform and at the time you know i think 90 percent of it was just the, these classical musicians and they were posting like you know recordings of their musicians on on the site. And so I started putting my tracks on it and a bunch of other guys did. And all of a sudden it became like this, you know, really great place to, to, to hear electronic music. Um, and then, you know, they made a bunch of questionable decisions, uh, that led to the demise of their site. But for a while, there was a really thriving sort of international electronic music community on mp3.com. And so that, um, and and they started, uh, I met a really good Mm -hmm. friend of mine, uh, Evan Bartholomew, he goes, he's like a really well-known uh, producer now called uh, Blue Tech, and he he started like really promoting my music, and so all of a sudden I was getting like all these really really cool gigs and invitations to play festivals and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so as I'm like working, you know, non as I'm working in in this one company, I'm I'm able to to play gigs and DJ festivals and go to Ibiza and like do all these like amazing things. And then like, you know, cause it's just from New York, you know, anywhere in Europe is like a six hour flight, mm-hmm. you know? So you just finish work, you get on a plane, you go play a festival and it, and it was really trippy. Like, you know, I'd, I'd, go from like a data center a life where I would barely see the, you know, the sun. Cause I'd be in this data center with, you know, just equipment humming at me and like all this kind of stuff. And like, then go play this giant festival on a beach somewhere, you know, with like, you know, tens of thousands of people. And then just literally just show back up in my cube and <laughs> go away. And um, there's a guy that actually, I mean, did this. He's he's a good example of somebody who took that to the next level. I don't know if you ever heard of a, a girl talk. No, no. Um, he's like a pretty well-known electronic music producer. But anyway, he, he did exactly that. Then just decided, OK, I'm just going to do this professionally. And just gave up his day job, you know. And uh, a lot of people tried to to push me to do that uh, back then. But, you know, my parents did a really good job of sort of like telling me, you know, you're already doing everything you want to do creatively. Like doing it professionally would actually take the pleasure away from the hobby. Mm -hmm. And I actually know a lot of people who have made that mistake. And it's, it's something that's really, really interesting. Yeah. That is... You know, I think that if you have a hobby, uh, and especially if it's like a hobby that you kind of discover, you know, that is, you know, that you dis- discover later on in life or whatever, you know, I, I don't. It's kind of, it's kind of special to keep it as a hobby. You get it's a lot more fun than, than than to make it be the thing that you rely on for a living because I feel like then you start to have a grudge against it if it's not providing you with everything you expect from life.
1: Yeah, there's an Oscar Wilde quote that's something along that lines. Like if you, if you love your hobby enough and make it work, you'll kill the, your your love of it. Something along that uh, lines.
0: And, and this is probably one of the fundamental I, I would say It's the if it's not the top, it's it's in the top three fundamental disagreements I have with the VC community and the startup scene and all that kind of stuff. Which is like, I I don't know that that you're you know if if saving the world is is the thing you want to do? I, I would say make it your hobby. You know, I love that. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Don't don't make it your job. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, because you, and there's all this talk around building your business around your passion, but I've seen a lot of people do that and fail.
0: Well, I'm not afraid of failure. It's actually fun to fa- I see when you're when it's a hobby. It's it's that's what I'm saying about controlled falling. Like, I guess when it's a hobby, and and I don't know. Again, th- this. I'm I'm not sure if this fits the the Zen mindset so much, but I think it's easy to have a feel like if if, if a record I put out is not a hit, I don't feel any stress. I, I, I made it for, you know, I made it for me. I wanted to do it. And, um, and it, my, you know, my, you know, it's not putting bread on my table. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, I don't really care. I mean, I do, I, I do obviously want people to enjoy the music I make, or, you know, I, but I don't, you know, it's not like when I, you know, when I, every day at work, when I, you know, when I do stuff and, um, you know, I make decisions that impact the lives of a lot of people, you know, the, you know, the, the income of a lot of people and make decisions about like, okay, we're going to shift the company this direction. That is stressful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's fun, don't get me wrong, but it's really, really stressful. And I don't ever want art to be stressful. It's like, it's the last thing. It's also kind of why I end up, you know, once I had a family, you know, especially after the second kid came, I was like, I think I'm done DJing. I, I just don't enjoy it anymore. It's like, you know, and and I don't really regret it. It's like, it's another thing like where if, if the opportunity presents itself, I'm sure I'll find a way to, to bring that back into my life. But it also created an opening. You talked about, you know, we, before the podcast started, we, we talked about the fact that I'm starting to write a book, you know, mm-hmm. it created, it created a, an opening. So when you're used to having a hobby, the, the most, th- the thing you should be protective of is the, the sort of mind space that you allow for, uh, you know, right brain thinking, you know what I mean? It's like, this, you, you want, you want to leave yourself with that, the ability to, uh, to 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 have your head in the clouds for for some amount of time and the it, it, hobbies are, are sort of a really nice box in which to put to do that with because because you're, you're creating a, a framework you're saying okay when I'm when I need to disconnect from reality this is what I'm doing yeah you know and, yeah. and that's what that's what happened to me it's like you know actually when I stopped DJing I started noticing that I was like I was stressed stressed out and um you know, I was like, I couldn't understand why. And, and, uh, you know, I just, I realized that I was spending the time that I would otherwise spend like picking out records or making music or whatever. I would spend it watching TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which did not really give me that sort of creative, uh, relief, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah um, for sure. Um, so let's talk, uh, you, some of the things that you've done because uh sure you know, you know an overview of of all of your positions that you've okay had. yes <laughs> okay uh, what Where do what you want to start all, yeah i mean so you <laughs> you dj you were working for this hosting company
0: yep so i was an engineer uh so i started off d- being an application engineer uh this was at the at the um well i you started off in it support which is everyone into I mean, if everyone in technology did not start in help desk or at least in my generation we all started in help desk right that's kind of mm-hmm. weird uh you know, help desk, uh, IT support. And then I moved into application engineering, which is like actually go, you know, build stuff. Then I moved into s- kind of system engineering, uh, which is, you know, we started to design, you know, hosting systems and, you know, how you know, how many, how many servers need you need and, and, uh, what sort of network infrastructure you're going to need and what operating system and, uh, you know, what's your web infrastructure look like and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then after the second, uh, uh after the the well no, after the first dot-com crash um i you know i kind of took a year off and i played counter-strike for a year <laughs> <laughs> and this is actually where uh i spent most of the time with our with our mutual friend uh Chard or richard uh you know so um and i think he's still playing counter-strike he's, i think he's still playing exactly so, <laughs> so uh but after that one uh the, the cto of, of that company that i worked for was like hey you know I'm, Totally different thing. I'm start, you know, I'm gonna be CEO of a company that's that's doing load balancing, and he's like, and and you know, one of the things that we're having a really hard time with is that our our customers are really really geeky. The people who understand what we do and are willing to pay, a, they're willing to pay a lot of money for it, but but man, are they geeky? Like, and so like the problems that they were having is like, th- they were hiring their marketing people were not tech savvy, and so. He's like, uh, we want to create, and they hired this really, really smart guy, uh, uh, Wes Watson. They hired him, uh, and he was, and and I had this chat with him, and he said, you know, I'm tr- I want to create this thing, I'm, I'm going to call it technical marketing, and he's like, what I mean by that is like, you know, I want to hire somebody with an engineering background, who really understands the buyer, and um and, and has empathy not just sympathy, but has complete empathy with the buyer. Right. Hmm. I want, I want you to, to understand, I want to hire somebody who, who, uh, totally gets the tech, totally gets the heartache associated with, you know, get it, keeping a website up, <laughs> you know? Uh, and this is, you know, cause at the time, you know, there was no real protection against the distributed denial of service or, uh, anything you could take a, you could take a website down on it fairly simply, you know? Um, low balancing was a huge issue back then. Um, and so he, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, I want an engineer, but it's gotta be an engineer that, that is willing to, you know, go out and, and speak at trade shows and, um, you know, and, and write wipe you know, and, and, write kind of marketing slicks and, and you know stuff like that and work, you know, really interact with the press. Like you want me to talk to the press, to the analyst community and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was like, I don't, you know, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the re- and the reason I said that back then is because, honestly, uh, I just, there's two things. One is I really needed a job because I'd done nothing for a year. Uh, and yeah, the, but the other was I really liked his, his thinking. He's like, you know, th- this was a novel idea. Back then, if you wanted to be in marketing, you would get like a sort of, you know, you go to school for marketing. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it, yeah, I, yeah. It, and it sounds weird to us now in tech, especially in the age of, you know, how, how geeky marketing has become and how, you know, but back then, like marketing was its own thing. It was a separate silo. And so, you, so oftentimes the person marketing a product had no idea how to use the product, uh, technology product, had no idea how to use the technology product, did not really understand its benefits. They just, their job was to develop a lexicon and develop a lead gen plan uh, to the big, the big value add of marketing. This is the weirdest thing about marketing. The, the big value add of a great marketing person back in, uh, geez, not that long ago. I mean, maybe a decade ago, really. Maybe a little bit longer, is he would know how to build a, a, a you know, a pipeline. Mm. You know, a, and, and that, so marketing automation has made that person a dinosaur. Yeah. But that that used to be the biggest thing. Like the thing you would look for is is a person that could come in and. You know, interview your your vp of sales do an understanding of, of of you know your your uh your sales life your sales life cycle how many leads do you need in order to generate you know how many opportunities that convert to how how much revenue and and how much time right that was like the secret sauce like somebody who could figure that out was you know was the chief marketing officer i mean that person was the the guy or the, the girl right i mean that was like a big deal and a piece of software came along marketo came along and made that person a dinosaur
1: yeah, they it basically said like oh. that.
0: <laughs> but that was like a big deal.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and now it's such a it's such a part of our life,
0: right? And so that's the weird thing about marketing, right? It's like all of a sudden, you, you talk about uh, disruption, like you, you you've just disrupted, you know, an entire entire sector of the industry. But it's not like we needed to stop doing marketing. It's just that the shift moved over. The shift in marketing moved over into. Like, what is marketing today when you when you talk to somebody? Like, if you ask me what I would look for in, in um, you know, in, in a CMO, I would say, that person is in charge of your company's TED Talk, right? He's in charge of your company's soul, or she's in charge of your company's soul. Like, who are you, right? You know, yeah. what? who is your audience? How do they perceive you? How do you engage with them? How, how often do you need to touch them? What words did they use, you know? Um, where do they hang out? Where yeah. do they read? Who are the who are their heroes? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> all that. It's, that's really. I mean, that's that's you know, in a lot of ways, mar- you know, marketing and advertising have, have actually you know crossed over a lot. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more. I, I don't want to get into it. Like, there's there's obviously a lot of value in in brand and there's value in, in demand gen and all that kind of stuff. But but I, I'm not saying that that's not that, that that those aren't an important part of marketing. But a lot of those, you know, are are things that exist. As playbooks or can be effectively uh you know effectively outsourced um i think that get you know a a really really good marketing person is all about you know getting into the soul of the buyer and understanding you know and understanding the ecosystem around them and all the influence all the things all of the things that influence that person to buy yes right yes That's so so
1: important I agree so, completely there and it's something that everyone wants to have a shortcut like oh what's the the decision making process it's not the de- right. decision making ecosystem that they live in.
0: Right and and I always talk about that. you know I think it's really funny because you talk about um it's it's like saying that just because match.com exists dating is over or tinder now I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't you know it, it does it saves a bunch of shortcuts because you no longer have I think what it does is is it reduces reliance on uh, on on arbitrary events associated with luck. but yeah. uh, you know you still have to date, you still have to fall in love. you still have to have you know a lot all the hard stuff still has to happen. You know you've eliminated you've eliminated a little bit of what used to make dating really difficult, which is just finding somebody, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but in a lot of ways, it's actually more complicated because actually, what you've done now is you've increased the pool to the point where now both both uh, uh, both DATs, dater and DT I guess, have all, too many options. Yeah. Right. So now it's actually it's all about how do you differentiate yourself. I mean, just think about Tinder. Like, how much time do you have to differentiate yourself before you get passed over? Oh man. <laughs> No. do you know what I mean like whereas like if you go to if you have if you like meet somebody at a bar you've got you've got a fair window of opportunity <laughs> to do stuff you could have a conversation you could buy a drink you know, there's a whole bunch of different things you could do to to be analytical in that moment but it's something like tinder where you could swipe left right or left anyway so so I think that that you know um there's some really interesting aspects to that so first of all there is the sort of tinderification of marketing which is like you know how does your you know how does your brand get in front of the people who you know who should be interacting with it but that doesn't lead to uh, that that very not very often will lead to procurement you still have to obey the sort of you know seven to twelve touches depending on which philosophy you subscribe to uh you know and, and that you know navigating that and understanding that and sort of massaging it um and that evolves also according to your competitive ecosystem and all that kind of stuff and that's kind of where engineering and, and marketing kind of come together and 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 also the the artistic thing come together you know it's like you, you really it, it's it's an art it's a science and it's also you know it also has to do with uh you know allowing things room to breathe you know what i mean it's like uh you can't you can't tell if a marketing strategy worked overnight there's no like there's no like mechanical turk for marketing you know what i mean and and you know people want that
1: they want that so bad and it's it's great because i mean you have an immense amount of experience marketing different types of software and and also blended kind of software and ser- and not just software as a service but software with some service components around it too right
0: right yeah a- so- and-, and hardware and, and 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 music i mean i had to market my music too to like think about this with a record and a record especially if it's just a regular 12 inch like there's very little information on the record that that could, you used to be this thing called a, a one sheet, which is like this one piece of paper you get which describes the product. And it's very hard to describe music, especially when you're already in a crowded genre. Do you know what I mean? They're like, okay, yeah. so this is, this, is a, this is funk breaks, and it's different, and it's like this many beats per minute, and uh, you know, you have, to, you have to find the right words to describe it to an already, a very finicky buyer. You know, even if you've managed to get yourself into the right niche, even within that niche, you're, you're competing, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's the state of marketing. So it's, it's really, that's I mean where it all comes together. You know I mean? I think that the, the people who are best at doing kind of marketing today, take a very, you know, I don't want to say holistic, but you know, just, it's a strategic approach, which is like, number one is respect the hell out of your buyer. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're not sympathetic to your buyer, you know, you're, it, even if you are successful, you shouldn't be in my book, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the the customer, you know, the customer, you know, should be somebody that you care about and, and want to hang out with and, and, you know, help out. Right. Um, and then if you, if you come, if you come at it, come at it from that perspective, rather than how can I sell to this person? And you think about like, how can I help this person? or How can I make this person's life better? It's that, that's a lot more interesting, you know, um, and I, I, I get that not every segment of uh, of the market is, is geared towards helping people or making people's lives easier or whatever, but you know I can only give advice on the things that I would otherwise do. I would never work for I would never work for any company that that you know lived to like extort people or, or sold something that's arbitrary. You know I, I'm not the person who would sell pet rocks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean like. I, I think it's great. I mean, I think it's interesting, you know. But it's—I'm it, not opposed to people doing that. But, you know, when I, whenever I talk to people about marketing, how do I find myself here? It's really because, you know, I hated people. I hated the way people were marketing to me. Um, was when I was on the other side of tech, and uh, it was great. Like I said, I—I I owe a lot of it to, you know, probably also the fact that I've been very, very lucky to have uh, both a set of uh, of excellent. And terrible managers, (laughs) because 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 you really do. I mean, you learn to appreciate both. You, I I think, anybody who hasn't had a bad manager, um, is going to be lacking an important slice of 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 life. You know, you have to have somebody who really mistreats you so that you understand that you know all these management books are are full of crap because nobody wants to be managed. You know what I mean, like. Yeah. Nobody, nobody wants to be managed. And, um, you know, humans are all raised to be alphas. Nobody wants to be an Omega. We're not, there's no satisfaction in human society from being, the you know, the Omega dog. So I, I think that the, uh, the thing I learned from, from having good managers, and bad managers is, is to really, my favorite managers were always the people who always made me feel like an alpha. It didn't like, it was never about that, you know. And, and and there's unique ways of accomplishing that, you know. And I think that that I apply that to marketing. How do you make your customer feel like an alpha? You know what I mean?
1: I love that. That's a great. That's a great philosophy. Make your customer. I'm I'm writing that down. <laughs> I, 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 I just bought that domain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But,
0: well, it's just it's just we don't we don't. I mean, that's an interesting thing about human society. Is like we we don't actually. I mean, we 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 are. If you look at what's happening, uh, you know, we go back going back to Trump just to kind of like circle this thing 100 completely around like, you know, why you know why is Trump winning? He, he's making, you know, everybody like he's making his constituents feel like alphas because they're behind, you know, they're behind him, you know, it, and he, you know, so the rest of society makes them feel like omegas.
1: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Tao. you're the best. <laughs> uh, um i wish we could keep going but yeah I we've know, gone a little yeah. bit over time uh and uh i might have to make this a two-parter um okay. but uh, you know before we go um i'm gonna have you back on when your book's done and are you, do you have a date when you're gonna have your book done
0: uh well oh, I'm, gonna, I'm i have to i have to finish like I've, I've already hired an editor which starts on it he starts editing uh in april so I, I have to get the the first draft done by the end of the month but i don't know when like then you've got to go through the whole publishing process so i'm not i promise i'll let you know because you already volunteered to be a beta reader so i'll as soon as the, as soon as i have something readable I'll, uh you'll know
1: i was trying to get work. you to put a stake in the sand so we get it out but i know you'll get it out
0: I'll get it. Oh, it'll definitely come out. I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not the kind of artist that ever holds anything back. I, I put out, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's like I said, I use, I use the hobby as a way of release. So I'm just going to let it go. It may be the worst book anybody's ever read, but it'll be out there. You know,
1: that's so good. That's so good. Um, <laughs> it, so before we go, the three questions I always ask, what, what mindset are you working on right now? We've talked about a lot of mindsets, making your customer an alpha in your marketing job. What mindset are you working on right now to improve yourself?
0: So it's kind of a long answer. So, but if you said it's going to be a two-parter, what I mean by that is, uh, it, you know, one of the hardest jobs in uh, in any company today is IT, and it's because IT is is kind of face is being faced with unreasonable expectations. They're expected to support, you know, 100% of users, uh, but the reality is that, that use, the employees are you know no longer using corporate provisions devices they're no longer interacting with applications that run in the corporate data center and they're no longer accessing corporate data over the corporate network so it's very very tough for IT to support <laughs> so so I it's very very tough because basically IT is being asked to support users that they uh, that are that are using tools that they don't know about they're using devices that they're not trained in supporting um, and it's a very tough job so I think that, uh, in, in the meantime, the rest of the world just saying, you know, using lots of sort of uh, architecture words at them, like you know, be more people centric or user centric, and they're like, yeah, we're trying to be, but like, you know, we don't have we don't have the purview we need to be successful. So, you know, one of the things I'm really working on right now is, you know, trying to 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 bridge the gap between, uh, you know, how IT and the business the businesses that they support, uh, specifically, you know, trying to Um, Help help them see eye to eye, you know. uh, Help help users understand IT and help IT understand users, you know. That's important.
1: That's so important, and it it is, and it's something we work on constantly here too. Um, And
0: then, what's
1: the most influential book you've read recently?
0: Well, so I'll I'll always say it's uh, (laughs) it's always going to be the last book I read because I I, you know I I read through. So I don't know if you read the uh, the Red Rising trilogy. Uh-uh. Uh it's like a science fiction book anyway there's there's a book uh the last one is called morning star uh and it's it's influential um because i'm you know i'm writing a book and so it's got it's, it's really nice to read so wh- whenever i uh, it's really really nice to read you know books written by people who i really respect who are much better authors than me uh because i find inspiration in that so i i don't what's weird about me also is I don't get jealous I, I'm not a jealous person at all. So whenever I see any, anybody doing any better than me, you know, I try to learn from them. I don't really see them as like, you know, I, I don't see them as a threat. That's beautiful. Uh, so, so it's just kind of fun to read like somebody who's just a true artist, uh, somebody who's an artisan in, in that, in that, in that craft. And then just, you know, uh, say, Oh, like discover new devices and discover ways that they, that they handle specific scenarios. Uh, and then apply that to, to my narrative.
1: Awesome. And, uh, yeah, it, you, know, you, you're now actually cooler than I thought you were at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that, that answer. Um, and what, what's a quote, what's a quote that you, you live by or your favorite quote?
0: So I'm also in, this, in the same way the quotes are, uh, you know, I, I treat everything. I'm a very ephemeral person. Like I, I live in the moment. You know what I mean? So I, I, I'm, so my favorite quote, and it's not a quote that I live by, but it's, I'm going to retell the story because I think it's a good ending. I'm going to retell you what my daughter told me, which is currently my favorite quote. I've, I've said it probably, uh, you know, several hundred times this week, which is, um, you know, I'm sitting there in front of my daughter and I'm tying her shoes. And all of a sudden she's just the world's biggest sneeze, like all over me, doesn't cover her her face or whatever. And I said, you know, Iris, what are you doing? You just covered me with your germs. And she looked at me and she said, well, daddy, Maybe if you were nicer to my germs, they wouldn't get you sick. And, <laughs> and, and it's not like, you know, it's not an incredible, you know, it's a quote to live by because I think that mentality is, you know, looking at things from a completely different perspective, I think is, is you know, when you talking with, speaking with kids and, and interacting with them, you know, it's the most wonderful thing about that is it forces you, like interacting with kids forces you to take a vantage point point. That you would never otherwise take in life when dealing with adults because their universe is completely different, you know, uh, and is, is governed by different rules. And so it's a quote to live by because whatever my daughter says to me last that made me laugh is my quote to live by. Right. Yeah. Because these these kids just that's that they they are the ones that force you to be creative just as soon as you thought you settled into a routine.
1: Oh, man, that's I love that, too. It's, it's a very Zen quote, too. Yeah, <laughs> it is. You can keep coming back to it. We've we've talked about it a few times, and every time I come back to it, I think of it in a different way. Like you said with the kids, but also like, hey, maybe if I was nicer to these germs, yep. <laughs> maybe if I, you know, had a positive attitude towards them. Right. Oh Man, Tal, you rock. You're gonna, <laughs> you're, thank you so much for being on. You're gonna uh, have to be on when the books books out, and we're gonna talk about that. And uh, if you have any more marketing wisdom, which I know you have tons of it, I'd love to have you on again
0: sure Ian. i and i really enjoy it and I, as you know i just enjoy speaking with you anytime so
1: awesome awesome hope i see you again soon all right tal, thanks a lot brother no problem man. everyone it's been tal klein on Dial of inbound uh it's Iron garlic thanks for taking us on your journey if you have-